Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, Glenn James here, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, quickly, I always see in the Facebook group people asking about investing, managed funds, ETFs, well, the best thing you can do, and there's no cost, jump into the show notes, I've got two links there from reviews that I did on the Vanguard Personal Investor Platform and another review for three of or four of the Vanguard ETFs that are quite common. Now, whether you use the Vanguard products or not, these videos, and I think they're over like 45 minutes each, and there's no cost to watch them on YouTube, they will show you the concepts that you need to know, regardless of what investment that you use. So I just want to let everyone know that that's available at no cost to look at. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And if you find this useful, why not send it to a friend? Bye. Welcome, Anne-Marie. Hi, Glenn. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So just give us a little bit about your background and what you're doing with yourself. Yeah, so I am a psychologist. I am based in Brisbane. Um, and I recently completed my master's in organizational psychology, which is basically just the study of human behavior at work. Um, and I really got into that because, you know, we spend ha- over half our waking hours at, at work. So I want to help make uh, employees' life better. Um, and I've been working in the recruitment and selection space for two years now, uh, specifically in online recruitment and selection uh, processes. Yeah, it's funny when you actually said like we spend half of our time at work, like that's so crap. Like yep. it's it's wild. And I think that's why if you're not happy with your career, you really need to make some steps or a plan so you actually are happy with what you're doing. And if you're happy with your career, well, maybe it's a different job in the same field. So are you mainly working with uh, large corporates like what type of like day-to-day work do you do on the ground? Yeah, so we predominantly work with uh, enterprise clients. So KPMG, um, we work a bit with the uh, Australian federal government. Um, so we do have a lot of those larger clients that are recruiting um, huge numbers of uh, people at once. Um, but we also have smaller clients as well. So it's a bit of a mix, uh, mixed bag there. Um, and we have products, you know, we work with products for both types. Yeah, awesome. So we're going to get into the tips. And I just want to kind of say like, Shell and M have My Millennial Career Podcast and they've got all the help that you need over there. But the reason I really wanted to get Anne-Marie on was because we're just going to turn that up a notch to try and get the extra one percenters from a psychological viewpoint from just another angle. So let's get into the practical tips. Let's have a look at the one percenters and your experience, Emery, in helping organizations in your area of expertise. What's kind of the first thing that you would say to people who are looking to um, jump on and have some online interviews? Yeah, so hopefully some of my perspective will be unique and something that you you don't get from just Googling, you know, online interview tips. Um, So I think what I'd like to cover briefly first is just some uh, basic tips for getting your setup right. So thinking about your background, um, making sure that you don't have anything too busy going on in the background, something that's simple, plain, that will contrast with you and make you stand out is going to be really great. 
And if you're going through platforms like Zoom, you can even make the most out of that technology and pick virtual backgrounds that are going to, I guess, add that extra touch and make you look even more professional. Um, you can put whatever you want in the background. Um, I love technology. Uh, I use it in my, my own interviews and the ones that I've been through in the past. But if you're, um, you've got to, I always say you've got to dress for the occasion. And if you are going for more of a serious type role, and you don't have a good background, like, are you going to have some party scene in the background or like, because your background at the moment while we're talking here, it's a plain wall. Uh, I'm not distracted. I'm not looking at your bookshelf behind to go, oh, what's this Anne-Marie really into? Like, oh, okay, she's a vegan. Oh, and she likes uh, DIY uh, gardening. And like, it just kind of, there's no distractions and it's simple. So, so all that to say, don't have a dumb background. <laughs> yep. If in doubt, plain, I reckon. Uh, yeah. What else, what else have we got for getting the setup right? Um, making sure your lighting is also really important. Um, daylight is always best, but if there's no space in your house to be able to do that, um, you can pick up uh, ring lights, which mimic daylight from Kmart or whatever for 5 to $10. They're really accessible. I'm using one right now. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Also, a bit of a, a bonus tip from more of a psychological perspective is ditch the swivel chair. So obviously going into an online video interview in particular, we're going to be quite nervous. And when people are nervous, they tend to fidget. Um, and if you're sitting on a swivel chair, you're going to be um, more likely to be swinging back and forth. This is going to be really distracting for your interviewer. So if you get rid of that, that takes that out of the equation. Um, but if you do have a tendency to fidget and move around a little bit, um, what I might suggest is getting a bit of blue tack or even just a pen or something that you can move around in your hand off screen. So that concentrates your fidgety behavior to that aspect that the interviewer can't see and can really help to calm those nerves um, that you might be experiencing. Yeah, that's a good one. Because like I, I've got a chair and like I always move around regardless. And if it was an interview, it could be really off-putting. Like, because I think as well, like you've always got to do the 1% that stand out because you could be fourth in line of an interview. Yep. And all the other ones may have been on a hard chair, c- controlled and measured, but you're the better candidate. But because you're a little bit nervous, you, you're moving around. But yeah, that's a, a really good one. Yeah, absolutely. It can make a huge difference. What I found with, because I do a lot of these stuff online and I'm talking to you and I can see your face, I'm like now looking directly at my camera and this is really weird, but it feels weird to me and I've had to get used to it, but I'm directly looking at my camera. To you, I probably look really engaged like I'm talking to you and because I've got a digital SLR camera and I've got a, a capture card and I'll put my details in the show notes. So if anyone wants to buy a capture card and all that, like it was only a hundred dollars or something to get really good um, video. I'll show you what I've done, Emery, and people, you can try this as well. I, I swing the viewfinder around like, and the viewfinder is now open, but I automatically look at myself. So can you see in the camera how my eyes, they're not looking direct at you? Yeah. But if I move the viewfinder and, and then I'm not distracted... I'm now just looking at the camera. Yep. So when I do a lot of interviews like this and everyone, it feels awkward, but you just have to practice to know that I know when Amory's looking back at me, she can see me. And when I'm talking to her, I look into the camera. And then when Amory's talking, I look at the screen and it's just, it's awkward, isn't it? Like, so we have to push through the this feels awkward because it's not normal to do Zoom calls. Like, no, not at all. 2,000 years ago, we're not Zooming from, you know, the back, I don't know, stable or whatever we were living in. Uh, so, yeah, I'd really encourage you to practice with your friends and, yeah, just it feels awkward, but try it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, humans, we're at our core social creatures. We're really, really good at picking up these subtle social cues and looking directly at someone and making eye contact is a huge one in interview settings. And it can be so easy to get distracted by 
uh, your yourself looking back at you or looking at um, another screen where you might have the uh, Zoom call actually up, but your camera's on the other side. So yeah, really important to look directly at that camera. All right. So get your setup right. And I would also say if you've got crap audio, I'll put a link in the show notes to the microphones we use and they're USB microphones. And, you know, for podcast guests now, to try and get the best experience, you know, the worst thing is the other people on the other side, if it sounds like you're doing it from your bathroom, it's so distracting. So if you are serious about stepping up your game, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for a, um, a USB microphone that I've got five of them and we send them out to guests now who don't have good microphones. Um, not as a, a gift, we send a return envelope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so I just think it's all these one percenters. Like if it's crap video and crap audio, Emery, from a human point of view, it's really hard to engage and you're not going to stand out as much from someone like yourself. Like you've got good audio, good lights and clear background. Oh, that's good to know. I was just listening to you talk about good mics and I'm here thinking like, oh, I hope mine's good enough. <laughs> Trust me, if it wasn't, we wouldn't be this far in the interview. Don't Great. worry about that. <laughs> so moving on to more um, practical things, what have you got there as your second point? Yeah, so my next tip would, uh, and you might have actually heard this tip before, um, and it's dress to impress. But I really want to stress that what you might think dressing to impress looks like may not actually be the most effective way to do so. So what people generally think of when they think dress to impress is put the best clothes that you have on. Um, so this might be a suit and tie or a pantsuit and a blazer. Um, but actually a better way to dress for an interview is to research the organization that you're applying for. Think about the culture of that organization. Think about what they might be wearing on a day-to-day -day basis and mirror that in your outfit. Dress as if you were already employed, basically. Um, so, for instance, if you're going for a corporate role, then it might make sense to wear that suit and tie. But if you're going for a more casual or creative role, it might be better to chuck on a more brightly coloured shirt or some less uh, formal clothing. And even if you're going for a corporate role, this is an extra added bonus, it could be good to add a little bit of a personal touch to your outfit. And this could be in the form of a, a colorful tie or a more boldly colored blouse, because this will really stand out to your interviewers and it will make their memory of you more distinct later on when they are reviewing all the potential candidates that they might want to hire. Are we going pets on laps? Well, classic <laughs> psychologists' uh, answer to everything is it depends. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're going for a role that is known for loving their pets, they bring pets into work all the day, or if you're going for maybe a, a vet position, maybe it's okay. Um, but I think in general that might be a little bit distracting for the interviewers. <laughs> <laughs> and I think as well it's like, because I do so many of these interviews for the podcast remote like this, I know like at the time of recording, half of Australia is basically locked down because of this globizzle pandizzle. And <laughs> a lot of people have kids, which is awesome. But can you do something with your kids just for that 20 minutes of the interview? Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Or this is kind of what I do when I like, it's just setting expectations. Could you say, look, at the start of the interview, hi, my partner actually got called in. They would usually be home to distract, you know, little Jimmy or little Jeanette or whatever in the background. I've plugged a dummy in and I've put the wiggles on or whatever, but please, um, just letting you know, you might hear a fire getting started in the background. I don't know. Like, is it about setting expectations for the uncontrollables? Yeah, I think that's definitely a good approach to take. And I mean, at the end of the day, your interviewers are people too. Um, they have children, they have pets, they have distractions. COVID has impacted everybody. Um, it doesn't discriminate. So, you know, I think that's a really good way to approach it is to just set those expectations up at the beginning. Um, and I think in general, most people are going to be completely fine with that. But if they're not, I mean, then you might just want to have a think about 
is this an organization that I want to work for if they're not going to be okay with that? Yeah, that's actually a really good one. It's like if you <laughs> if they're pissed off at you at the very first instant about something dumb, do you actually want to be there anyway? Yeah. Have you heard, and this is for the uh, older listeners, the song Dressed for Success by Roxette? Oh, no, I don't know that one in particular. I do know other Roxette songs. I am cultured. (laughs) Love it. Okay, what have you got next for us? Because I think I'm kind of learning this because I do a lot of like corporate pitches and interviews myself and I've got this swivel chair, so I'm yeah. like, I've got to ditch this chair because I get weird and nervous. Uh, so, what else have you got for us? Yeah, so this next one is going to be uh, particularly relevant for Australians if you're applying for a more global role, especially if you are like me and are a female. So, and that is to be mindful of your speech patterns, particularly this thing called upspeak. And what that is is when you end a sentence in a higher octave than when you started with, like that. Um, And this is something that is ingrained in Australian culture. We seem to just do this on on the regular. Um, But in an interview setting, what this can actually do is it makes you sound like you don't really know what you're saying um, and you're looking for validation from the interviewer and it can really undermine your credibility. What happens when uh, you're doing this is ending a sentence uh, in a higher octave is associated with asking a question uh, in a lot of cultures. In Australia, it is too, uh, but <laughs> uh, we don't often remember that. And so, yeah, it, it makes it sound like we don't think that what we're saying is true. What you want to do instead is uh, practice ending the sentence in a lower octave than what you started with. And this just makes you sound a lot more confident and like you know what you're saying and the interviewers will not be able to help but believe every word that you say. Yeah, it's funny because I listen to American podcasts and just like guys talking crap and, you know, weird podcasts like that. And um, I think the upspeak, I can't even do it, (laughs) but um, it can be like patronizing and arrogant as well or uh, sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, that's really hard because for me, I'm acutely aware of all the dumb stuff I say and I'm trying to stop and, and again, it just feels weird. Like I'm now trying to, when I interview people, because I'm learning myself and, you know, you might accidentally cut someone off because we're talking online and there's that millisecond delay. So you don't have that automatic or natural, you know, flow of conversation. You think someone's finished, but they haven't and all that. I'm trying to, at the end of, when you say something, I've got a habit of saying, yeah, totally. Yep. Like if someone went back and I'd be like, yeah, cool. Or yeah, like it's almost, you don't have to, it's just a filler. Like yes. it feels yep. a bit weird, but when I ask you a question and you answer it, I can just remain silent and then go to the next. And I know I'm talking about maybe recording podcasts, but for me, just speak to, can you have a Zoom call with a friend Ask them, hey, can I record this? Can you ask me these 10 questions, practice, and then listen to it back and see if you use any filler words? Yeah, that's a, I mean, practice is the best thing that you can do to prepare. Um, You really want to uh, practice speaking it aloud because you might be like, oh, no, that's fine. I'll be able to pick up on that as I am speaking. But when you actually get into the interview setting, you have all these other variables Uh, in play you know you feel nervous you've never met these people before you might be throwing a question from left field Um, so you really want to practice this and try and be mindful and pick up when you do these these habits whether it's a filler or up speak uh, because you may not necessarily even be aware of when you're doing them and practicing with a friend will then allow them to sort of pick up on it for you as well and can point out things that you may not necessarily uh, realize yourself Moving on to number four, sometimes with guests, I ask them to just shoot me some high-level things that you want to talk about because I need to know that they're actually good and you are, Emery, you passed the test. Well done. <laughs> oh, You've got <wonderful>. the job. <laughs> I'll, uh, you pay starts next week. Uh, you talk about the interview response bank. So point four, the right prep for the right questions. So a really good way to 
prep for an interview is to actually have what I like to call an interview bank, uh, where you just write down any questions that you think you might be asked. You can get inspiration from Google with this. There's plenty of web pages that list out common questions that you might be asked. And you want to actually prepare a response to that uh, interview question. And you want to keep them fairly short and succinct and to the point. So one that will probably take you about three to five minutes to, to rehearse and to talk back to, uh, replicate in the interview setting. And you really want to not just have those and reading off them in the interview. You want to be practicing them beforehand and be comfortable reproducing that in an interview in a genuine way. Um, so interviewers will be able to pick up very easily if you're just reading off a script um, and it makes you sound like a robot, you're not very approachable. So you do want to be able to be confident enough to reproduce them without looking at them. But more importantly, you want to make sure you're prepping the right sorts of responses to the different kinds of interview questions that you're going to be presented with. So in general, there are about three different types of questions that you might be presented with in an interview. So the first one is general questions. So these are just things like describe your qualities or talk about your previous experience or your interests. And the way that you can prepare for these best is to tailor your responses to that organization. Um, so if you're going for a creative role, you might really play up your more creative interests. Or if you're going into a role that is going to be highly competitive, uh, maybe you might talk about some of your interests that are more competitive. Maybe you've played competitive sport or competitive gaming, whatever it is. Um, so play those up. Uh, because the organization is looking for someone who's going to have the right fit. Uh, the other type of question, and these are probably the most common that you'll experience, are behavioral-based questions. And you can recognize a behavioral-based question because they usually start with think of a time when or describe a time when um, or tell us about a time when. And these are asking for your previous experiences in particular situations. And the best way that you can prepare for these types of questions is to use what's called the STAR method. So what this is, is S stands for the situation. So just set the scene, describe who was there, what was happening. Um, then you've got T, which is the task. So what were you requested to do? What challenge did you face? And then A is for achieve. So what did you do to actually achieve what you set out to do? And then R is for results. So what was the outcome? If the outcome was great, awesome, play it up, talk about how you specifically made that happen. Um, if it wasn't that great, that's fine. You can still talk about it, um, but maybe frame it in a way of what did you learn from that situation or what would you do next time to achieve a better outcome? Do you think it's important as well, like, and I know some people are better at this than other people. And for me, when I had my business, I really didn't have any clients via Zoom. Because my personality was, I need to be in the room. I need to feel the room um, so I can really connect with people. So there are going to be people who um, are really good at feeling the vibe and feeling the awkwardness or whatever. Like, do you think if in doubt, don't waffle? Like, just like you want to give them the chance to interject and to move it on. And I know it can come with nerves and whatever, Um so I, I don't know. I, I just think less can be more and uh, yep. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so silence is your friend. And I think what people often tend to get after they get asked a question, they feel the need to jump straight in and start answering the question. And what that can often lead to is someone waffling on about something because they haven't taken a second to think about what they want to say. So best thing that you can do, especially if it's a more left field question, is to once they ask you that question, you can, you can take a little bit of time to just sit and think about how you're, how you're going to answer that question. Yeah. One of the things Shell and uh, Am always said on their career podcast was that it's okay to say, oh, do you mind if I just take a moment to compose my thoughts before I answer it? Yep. Because that kind of gives you that control quote unquote. And I know a lot of people, you know, if you are a bit of a control freak, if you've just said, 
oh, give us a, a second just to compose my thoughts. It just takes all the pressure off. And even if you write down a couple of things with your pen and paper or something and then answer. Yeah, it's absolutely fine to do that. Um, and again, if that's something that the interviewers see as a negative aspect, then, you know, do you really want to work for them? Because I think that that is a sign that you really want to answer that question well. Uh, you don't want to waste their time by waffling on. And I think that, you know, I think that's almost a sign of confidence really is to sit back and think first because what your brain is telling you to do is you have to start talking now, start talking. Um, but yeah, try not to listen to that because uh, it's totally fine. Silence is your friend. And what else have you got with uh, prepping the right questions? Yeah, so there's one other type of question as well um, that I think is starting to gain a little bit more track. It's popping up more and more uh, because it doesn't rely on past experience as much. So this is a, called a situational-based interview question. And these will ask you about a hypothetical situation and how you would hypothetically deal with that. Um, so for instance, if you're going for a customer service role, they might ask you to imagine yourself in that role having to deal with a particularly unruly customer and what, what would you do to resolve that situation? So the way that you can prepare for these sorts of interviews is just do your research on the role, um, look at the core criteria and the tasks that you're going to be asked to do and just brush up on your technical skills and knowledge in that domain. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, people, we are back. And I just want to jump in and uh, give Cam Lau a shout out because this uh, question in the Facebook group, and you can search the hashtag career advice and make sure you use hashtags with your questions. And this question that I got uh, did prompt me to want to do an episode about this. And that was um, what was really uh, opportune when uh, Emery did reach out to me. Hi, everyone. Does anyone have any tips for a three-person panel interview over Zoom. It'll be my first time meeting with the company and I've never done panel interviews before. So, what are your initial thoughts? Because you've got a, a controversial point here that I want to finish on. <laughs> what are your thoughts on panel interviews? I mean, I think they can be probably on balance advantageous, like if there was a jury pool, like if I can just convince two of the three on this panel, I've got them. Like, what are your thoughts on uh, panel interviews? And then I might ask you about your uh, scandalous point. <laughs> oh, don't get too excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so panel interviews, I guess there's really two sides to this. So on one hand, panel interviews are going to be more fair and objective for the candidate because it's not just one person uh, making all of the judgments. So when there's just one person, they potentially, they can't be paying attention 100% of the time. So they might miss one or two things that you've said. Um, and also their experiences and their opinions are obviously going to affect their judgment of, of any situation. That's just the humans. We're biased inherently. Um, so having more people on an interview will balance that out. It will give a diversity of opinion. And like you said, Glenn, um, if you can just convince two of the three, then you're going you're gonna to be in a better situation than if you are with just that one person that doesn't like you. Mm. However, on the other hand, Doing an interview where you've, you're being asked questions by three people can be really confronting um, and it can really up those, those nerves. Um, so it is a really nerve-wracking experience going into a three-person interview. But I think just knowing that it's going to be a more fair experience might help. Um, but another quick tip that I might give to sort of calm those nerves beforehand, one of the best tools that we have to calm ourselves and get us back to a more neutral, I guess, way of being is to laugh. 
So laughing can actually bring our levels of nerves um, or excitement back down to a more stable level. So something that I do before an interview is I'll sing to myself. I'll be like, you can do this, Re. It's fine. You know, you've got this. And that often just, it makes me laugh because it's so silly. Um, yeah. but that, can, that can really help, you know, calm your nerves um, in, in this high stakes sort of situation. And I think it's probably if you are naturally bent to be nervous in front of people and then it's exacerbated when there's three or four on the Zoom call, it is really important that you, you know, you take these uh, tips that Emery has and really double down on it. Whether it is that blue tack in your hand or stress ball, just to focus that nervous energy, sitting on that chair, making sure, you know, I think we missed the point about making sure your internet's not crap. Like someone's not downloading 50 movies in the next room while you're trying to get a job to pay for the internet bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like just all the other stuff. Uh, but yeah, you're, um, this, the psychologist has come out with your last point. So I want you to hit uh, us with the, uh, the psychologist in you. Yeah, everyone will agree that we know the importance of prepping and making an excellent first impression in an interview. I think we spend a lot of time uh, doing this beforehand. But I think what most people don't know is it's actually as important or maybe even more important, to make a good final impression. And this is because uh, this uh, us as psychologists, we have this little secret knowledge that we don't often share with people, and that's that we have this memory bias um, called the recency effect. And basically what this means is we tend to remember the final moments of a situation more clearly than the parts that came before it. And this can really colour our evaluation of the experience as a whole. And this was demonstrated in um, quite a well-known study. It's a bit of a favourite of mine that was done by Kahneman and colleagues in the 1990s. And what they got people to do was they got the participants to submerge their hands in freezing cold water for a set period of time. And then they asked them to rate their overall experience of that situation on a pain rating scale. So how painful was that experience for you? And in the first group, uh, the participants had to submerge their hands for 60 seconds. And in the second group, they had to do it for 90 seconds. But the twist here was in the last 30 seconds, the experimenter would gradually raise the temperature very slightly. So it's still painful, but maybe slightly less so. And what they found was participants in the second group rated their overall experience as less painful overall in the first group, even though they'd been subjected to the painful experience for a lot longer. So what this demonstrates is that those final moments of experience can absolutely colour our judgment of the whole experience. Um, and we see this actually in theme parks where you could be waiting hours to get on a roller coaster. But because that final moment of getting on that roller coaster is so fun and so enjoyable that we rate the whole day overall as a fantastic experience. In an interview setting, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we leave the interviewer with a really great final impression of us because that is going to colour their overall judgment of us when they're considering who they want to hire later. So I just want to stress that it's really important to also prepare a closing statement um, when you go in for an interview. So a good way to do this is to come up with a quick two to three minute elevator pitch where you really incorporate your key experiences, knowledge and interests and tie them to the key criteria of the role. Mm. I think it's important like that uh, reason Reason and see, I see, I can't even speak England. Uh, reasons, recency effect. What is it? Reason. Recency effect. Yep. Recency. Sorry, I wrote down reason. Recency <laughs> effect. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of you listening have had to save months and 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 years for your new house. You get the keys to that house. Oh yeah, sweet, we got it. Like yep. you, you forget all that hard work. And I think that's a really good point. I love that. And I wanted to kind of you know, ask you uh, for, you know, your professional opinion on um, how I hack interviews. Actually, it was funny. You talk about first impressions. 
when I record, like sometimes I'll make a coffee before a, an interview like this and luckily I'm not going for a job and just having a chat with people, <laughs> yep. but I'll open, I'll turn on Squadcast or Zoom or whatever we're using and, you know, people will just see like the studio like that yep. and then at least if I'm making a coffee, they can log in and go, okay, it's working because I can see Glenn's screen, right? Anyway, yesterday I was recording an episode with... Um, Roseanne, who, if you listened to the podcast recently, you would have um, heard that. But I had it all set up and see these sound panels here and there's another one there. Yep. I, I've had it there. I've never met this person in my life. She's sitting there logged in. I've walked in, tripped, and that went flying. Oh, and the no. first thing she sees of me is like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was so embarrassed. Uh, so... Yeah, maybe it is get your scene set up and be orderly. <laughs> so when they, I mean, the on a imp- positive note, at least you made a memorable first impression, Glenn. She's not going to forget that anytime soon. Oh, I was so embarrassed. It's like <laughs> the first, she sees me go, and I go oh, crap. And it was just, um, but that was funny. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, you know, I, I've joked around uh, with the career girls and, you know, I just go, when I do an interview and, if I'm talking to a company to pitch them to be sponsor or something, I'll often flip the interview. What's your view of flipping the interview and start interviewing? Yeah, well, when you're going for an interview, it, it should be a two-way conversation because you should also have the opportunity to interview your interviewers to make sure that the organisation you're going for is going to fit you. Is it going to fulfil your needs and your goals for your career? Because I think that's... Mm just as important as you being a good fit for the organization. And if you're a good fit and it meets all your goals, then you're going to be a better worker and it's going to be a win-win situation. So absolutely, I encourage you to ask questions in the interview and really treat it like a two-way conversation. One thing I would encourage everybody to ask is maybe if there's just one person, I don't know, you might do it with a group, uh, but you might have to do it a different uh, way. I would ask them like, what do they like about the workplace and something to do with the culture? Because it could be the best paying job in the world, could be the best opportunity, but if they're all toxic dickheads or toxic bitches or whatever word you want to use, you don't want anything to do with it. Absolutely not. Very important questions. And then what are the questions that I ask? And it speaks to, it does speak to culture in a a weird way in kind of the back engineer method. And I'll use the example like, I've just kind of released this book, right? And weirdly, I was pitched by like two publishers in the one week, just weirdly. And I managed to have two initial chats with the publishers within like a 10-day period. And then I could just choose which one I wanted to go with. And I ended up, I ended up going with Wiley, uh, who have, you know, they're also like, they're two big major publishers. But we had a call and the whole team was on the call. And Sure, they were trying to get me on board, but for me, I wanted to make sure it was the right decision. And I think there was five or six of them on the call. And I said, look, I would just like to know if everyone can go around and you could tell me how long everybody's been with Wiley, the publisher. Yep. Because if everyone's like, oh, I've been here three weeks, we've been here one year, we've been here seven months. Like, you know, the the most fascinating thing in the world was the newest employee of the, I think it was like seven people, like every department, the newest employee had been there like eight years. Yeah. And it just speaks to culture. Like if they like it enough to be around that long, they're getting looked after. It's not toxic. There's career growth. Like, yeah. and I would ask the people that are interviewing you, like how long have you been with the company and what's the best part about your job? A good rule of thumb is for that, have they been there for more than two years? Because I think the average turnaround now is about two years. So if you can last past that, then yeah, it says something about the organization that people are committed to that that organization. And my last, and this is just me bouncing my techniques off a psychologist, like why not, may as well get my money's worth. Um, when I'm talking with one-on-ones or whatever, and I'm trying to pitch or whatever, I always would rather connect with the person, not the position. So, you know, I joked earlier, you know, if they've got the bookshelf in the background, you know, we might, all right, any other, oh yeah, just a random question. Like you've got all those books, like what's your favorite genre or like, 
So just connect with the person, not the position of manager. Yeah. Um, Because I think that can leave a good effect on a human level. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you do that, then that's going to help them remember you as well. Because if you're connecting on a social level, that's going to be very powerful than just a purely clinical clinical or professional sort of conversation. Yeah. And that's just, and that can take work and skill for some people. Like for me, it comes naturally because I'm actually genuinely interested. Like, like what's behind your wall there, uh, Emery? Like, is it a bedroom or is it the side of the building? Like, what is it? I'm actually interested. Yeah, sorry I didn't give you very much inspiration. <laughs> okay, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about my interests if you want. But <laughs> yeah, let's go there. What are you into? What are you into? Um, well, I love gaming actually, um, hence the, you know, the headset. It might give me away a little bit. Um, yeah. That's something that I love to do in my free time. I've been playing a lot of Overwatch recently, so, you know. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a first-person shooter uh, team-based game. Lots of fun. Would recommend. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it right there. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for those tips. Do you want to give us just a recap of your five points for prepping and completing online virtual interviews? Yeah, absolutely. So the five tips that you really want to remember um, is make sure you get your setup right, dress to impress, uh, but tailoring that outfit to the specific organization. Make sure you pay attention to those speech patterns, in particular upspeak and fillers. Also, make sure that you prepare um, correctly for the right types of interview questions and really practice those. Um, And finally, just remember that your final impressions count and they are just as important, if not more so, than your first impressions. Love it. Thank you so much. Anne-Marie Van Duen, thanks for joining us on My Millennial Money. Thanks for having me, Glenn. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. So speaking of gaming, um, oh, and if you um, if you don't want to hear us talk crap, we're pretty much done with all the important stuff, the interview. So thanks for hanging around. Uh, but you can stop it now if you, you're done. We're pretty much done. Uh, and thanks, Anne-Marie, for all that. But we'll do an official thanks. But I'm just letting people go So because we're just going to talk shop now for 10 minutes. Um, so I was at the um, long story. Since the lockdowns here in um, New South Wales, actually... And I've just done it again. <laughs> what are those people that like they're neurotransient or something? They they get an idea and go off a neurotangent or something. Like they're mid sentence and they you get they say something and then they find another path and end up on a different topic. But then it kind of comes around. Yeah. Whatever. I'm that person. I'm I'm taking this story back to gaming. Trust me. Okay. Yep. Um. So in lockdown. I've actually been working more because there's nothing else to really do. So, and six, seven weeks ago, I started getting really bad headaches, like to the point where it was borderline migraine. I was waking up at like 3 a.m. with a headache. Just, I couldn't take anything for it. Panadine, um, you know, Panadol Fort didn't work. Um, Like literally nothing worked. Um, I had some hardcore painkillers, I think trepidol or something crazy that I had when I've had surgery once, like just nothing worked. And I went to the doctor and he did a full like blood test workup because I thought my personality is like, oh, I'm dying. I've got a headache. Oh my gosh. I had the AstraZeneca vaccine. Am I clotting? Am I dead? Like, this is crazy. And 
he's like, nah, it's not the vax because you, it would have had, like it would have been worse, you know, earlier and all that crap. And so we got the blood tests anyway and it was all clear. It was all good. Yep. And he said, oh, just go get a, a CT scan just in case. And um, so when I got a CT scan and this was like a Friday afternoon at 4.30 and I've got this cracking headache and the doctor's like, I don't know what it is. And he goes, if it gets worse over the weekend, go to the hospital. So I went and got a CT scan. They got me in and I said to the person doing the scan, because I'm freaking out. I'm like, I've got a brain tumor as far as I know. Oh, like no. I, I don't I didn't usually I don't usually close my wooden door during the day, but I closed it because I'm like, well, clearly I'm going straight to hospital to my death. Like, so <laughs> this is an insight <laughs> to my craziness. Anyway, I said to him, I'm like, oh, just, I know you're not allowed to tell people their results because, you know, that's for the doctor to report on and all that. But would you let me know if I have to go to hospital straight away, please? <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's like, look, to be honest, if there's anything that came up in it, I would have called the doctor and, you know, got you, you know, we're not going to let people walk out if there's a bleed on the brain or anything crazy. Yeah, they're not going to let you die. He, <laughs> yeah. He's like, look, I think there's nothing that would make me call a doctor. I I'm, I can't tell you, but it's probably okay. And and, he, and I said, oh, it's probably a bloody tension headache. Anyway, we just got talking there for like 10 minutes because he was saying that he gets headaches and nothing, you know. So anyway, long story short, I've decided to stop working as much yep. and do like neck exercises and like um, just really getting more sunlight because my studio here, it's like artificial light. I've yep. got a computer. Uh, I wasn't wear, like I now wear my glasses now when I'm at my computer during the day um, because that can help. Anyway, all that aside, got like tiger balm rubbing into my <laughs> forehead for like three days and on my neck and doing all these stretches. And I said to my team, I was talking to JP and she's like, she goes, why don't you go get a massage? You're in pain. And I'm like, oh, I'm not really a massagey person. And, um, I'm like, all right, if you if you book it in for me, just use the work card. <laughs> like, <laughs> book it in for me. She's like, I'm not your PA. I'm like, and then I said to her, I'm like, and then I was in a Zoom call or like a squadcast call or whatever, a, a Slack call with the other team and I got JP and I'm like, JP's got a surprise for everyone. And I pretty much said, if you book my one for me, book your own and you can book everyone else in the team a massage, like just... <laughs> Because I just didn't want to book it. Anyway, she booked it, went and got a massage. And this is the gaming part, right? I built right, this up it's, to it's be come such back, a, yep. This is such a non-event story. <laughs> Get to the massage place. The lady, um, and they're not allowed to be open or you're not allowed to get appointments during lockdown unless you're in pain. So yep. I was legally allowed to do it because I'm like, I'm dying here, like help. So I went and got a massage and it was really good. And so she's massaging. I'm like, are you like a bricklayer on the weekend or something? Because like you got your re- remedial massage, like, it's like, no, I'm a hardcore gamer. <laughs> 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 oh. Wait, that's believable. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, yeah, I've always like got my little fingers and she's like hardcore gamer. Um, wow. Yep. Sorry, everyone. We probably should put that as the actual after party. Um, because that was a, re- a weird tangent. Um, so that's my cool story, experience. bro. <laughs> yeah, and and well told. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I just never got into gaming. And it's so funny. Are you into massages? Uh, yes, but I feel like my anxiety stops me from going to them a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I'm like the most ticklish person on the planet. Uh, yeah. So like my niece and nephew is like, Grace is what, 11 now. Even when she was seven years old, she could have me on the ground and I literally paralytic could not move. Like if she just went straight to my, like, it's bizarre. So anyway, she's like, she goes, oh, I'm going to work on your hammies as well. Like literally touch my leg and I jump. She's like, oh, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. I'm just tickling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that, I can see how that could be a problem. <laughs> and then they they said like, um, you know, you they pushing you. It's like, oh, does that hurt? I'm like, yeah, it feels like someone's shoved their finger into my neck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say? What were yeah. you expecting? <laughs> so I highly recommend uh, getting a massage. But the good thing is, probably after the massage and doing like 
neck like tension, headache, stretches and um, not working like five or six hours straight in this dungeon of a cage without glasses, after about four days, the headaches went. Yep. So... I'm not surprised as a psychologist. Yeah. I was like listening to your story and I'm like, hmm, there are some warning signs in here. I think I might know what's going on. <laughs> oh, totally. Like, oh, it's just weird, isn't it? I'm just like, I'm probably, I'm crazy in the way that, like this is like the night before when I was waking up at like 5am and 3am with like headaches, I'm freaking out. I'm like, what if I go to sleep tonight and I don't wake up? I've got payroll. I've got a, I need a succession plan for the business. Now I'm going to die in hospital alone because of COVID. Oh, it was a bad time. Catastrophized thinking there. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's so bad. So hello to everyone who else thinks like that. Um, but it's made me really think about my succession plan. Even to the point like in um, my business bank accounts for Simo, because I'm an employer, like I, I've got an online savings account and the transaction account. I've now keep that transaction account quite fat because if I do die or something goes wrong, I need my staff to be paid for at least three or four weeks. Like I'd hate them. To- <laughs> oh, well, that I um, think that just shows how much of a great employee you are there, Glenn. That, that's a oh, lovely story. <laughs> well, there you go. They all got a massage out of it, so... Uh, <laughs> It's like, don't worry, if I die, you'll still get paid. You'll good. still get paid and I got your massage. See you later. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.